Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, Voice America listeners, and welcome back to Solutions and Strategies, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean. Really happy you could join us this morning. Uh, We're going to continue our discussion this morning about behaviorism. We started that last week and its applications to your everyday successes and challenges. Um, We often use behavioral techniques to stop undesirable behaviors and to increase desired behaviors. But it's not the only use. In fact, in any situation one is in, one can be assisted by behaviorism. Whether it's a learning to praise other people, or to which is a form of reinforcement, uh, or deciding upon how often payroll should be capped up so that mor- morale is kept up, all of these things can be done through behaviorism. La- last week, we talked a lot about reinforcement, different types of reinforcement. We talked about the difference between adaptive behavior and maladaptive behavior. And in life, we're all trying to adapt to things that are going on around us. And truly, what shows our ability to be able to think and process through various social situations is our adaptive behavior. And when we see behavior problems, what we really see are people that have poor adaptive abilities or what would be called maladaptive. They're adapting, but they're not adapting in a way that fits Uh, our our social uh, acceptance. At Total Programs, applied behavior analysis is a way of life for us. However, we take in the person and who they are first, and then we apply both developmental adaptive skill training and communication training for both in ABA. Now, I want to pick up on where I left off last week, and then I'm excited because today we're having two guests. Joshua Trevino, who is one of the supervisors at Total Programs, and Augustine Jimenez, who's been on the show a couple times, they will be discussing their research, and particularly in regards to organizational behavior management. And I'll discuss what that is a little bit later. So they're going to join us in about 20 minutes or so. Um, Let me pick up on where we left off last week. We were talking about uh, – we described – how different some different interventions are used. Uh, we talked about various things from reinforcement to punishment. We talked about contingency management. We talked about contingency contracting. We talked about uh, token economy systems and how those are used. So now I want to get like, how do you figure out what you want to use when? How do you know which techniques to use? How do you know which is going to best meet the need of their client? So let's talk a little bit about assessment. Behavioral therapists complete what's called a functional analysis or functional assessment that looks at four important areas, stimulus, organism, response, and consequences. The stimulus is the condition or the environmental trigger that causes the behavior. An organism involves an internal response of a person, like a physiological response, emotions, cognition. A response is a behavior. 
that a person exhibits and the consequences are the result of the behavior. These four things are incorporated into the assessment and done by the behavioral therapist. What we're looking for is what is the reason why somebody utilizes this behavior? What is the function behind it? And we look at several things and we're usually looking at, is this this person trying to escape or avoid the situation? Are they trying to gain attention from this? Are they trying to gain something tangible from this? Or is this a sensory issue that is causing this behavioral issue? So these are other areas that we look at in regards to function. Most behavior therapists use objective assessment methods like structured interviews, objective psychological tests, or different behavioral rating forms. These types of assessments are used so that the behavior therapist can determine exactly what the client's problem may be and establish a baseline for maladaptive responses that the client may have. Now, a baseline, what that means is like what is currently without any intervention, without anything in place, what is this person how does this person act? How does this person interact? So we take measurements around before we put any intervention, before we put anything into place so that we can see whether or not the intervention actually is working for the person. By having this baseline, a therapy continues the same measures. I'm sorry, as therapy continues, this same measure can be used to check the client's progress, which can help determine if the therapy is working or not. Behavior therapists do not typically ask the why questions, but tend to focus more on the how, the when, the where, the what. Behavior assessment is more focused on observations of a person's behavior in their natural environment. We really want to see how somebody is interacting in their natural environment before we uh, 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 start manipulating them in a what would be called an analog environment. For instance, if you take somebody into the university that's having a behavioral issue and you take them into a clinic and you work on something with them, you may see change, you may see something different, but it's not going to be the same as if you were uh, in that person's home or school or the community with the person. So the idea is to have them in the most natural environment possible so that when the assessment is taking place, you really are understanding what that person is really going through in their uh, in their true world. Behavioral assessment specifically attempts to find out what the environmental and self-imposed variables are. These variables are the things that are allowing a person to maintain their maladaptive feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. It's another thing we talked about last week was uh, we talked a little bit about cognitive behavioral therapy, and we talked about irrational thinking and certain uh, uh, concepts around how to work towards having a more rational way of thinking. In behavioral assessment, person variables are also considered. These person variables come from the person's social learning history and they affect the way in which the environment affects the person's behavior. An example of person variable would be a behavioral competence. Behavioral competence looks at whether a person has appropriate skills and behaviors that are necessary when performing a specific response to a certain situation or stimuli. When making a behavioral assessment, the behavioral therapist wants to answer two questions. What are the different factors, environmental or physiological, that are maintaining the maladaptive behavior? And two, what type of behavior therapy or technique can help the individual improve uh, 
most effectively. So then we start looking at some of the clinical applications. Behavior therapy based its core interventions on the functional analysis. Just a few of the many problems that behavior therapy have functionally analyzed include intimacy in couples relationship, forgiveness, chronic pain, stress-related behavior problems of being an adult of a child with autism, um, the eating disorders, chronic distress, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, insomnia, behavioral problems, even obesity. There are lots of different ways that you can use the functional assessment and the functional analysis to determine, again, what is the function and behind the behavior. What's the behavior trying to communicate? Functional analysis has been applied to problems that therapists commonly encounter like client resistance, partially engaged clients, and involuntary clients. So you can use the functional analysis also to look at how engaged are is my client in this intervention? And are they actually going through all the different steps of the intervention or are they missing parts? And why are they missing those parts? And are they, are they purposefully not engaging in adaptive behavior because it's not bringing them as much as the maladaptive behavior. Applications to these problems have left clinicians with considerable tools for enhancing therapeutic effectiveness. One, one way to enhance therapeutic effectiveness is to use positive reinforcement or operant conditioning, which we talked a lot about last week. Although behavior therapy is based on, general, on a general learning model, it can be applied in a lot of different treatment packages that can be specifically developed to deal with problem behaviors. Some of the more well-known types of treatments are relaxation training, systematic desensitization, virtuality, virtual reality exposure, exposure and response prevention techniques, social skills training, modeling, behavioral rehearsal, and even things like aversion and therapy and punishment therapy, two different types of, of kind of negative behavioral modification, things that we don't tend to use a lot unless a person's really in danger or it's a very unhealthy habit. But the idea is that we are going to attempt to use an intervention that will meet the same function as the maladaptive behavior is meeting so that we can make it more adaptive. You know, for instance, a person can be really, really stressed out, you know, and their behavior is demonstrating their stress outedness, how stressed out they really are. So if they really do have these high levels of stress, well, for one, is there some irrationality to the stress? their thinking process and also is there an issue in regards to the person's ability to you know to take care of themselves maybe they don't have the skill necessary to get through whatever conflict it is so they just avoid and escape it you know or they're just so stressed out that they avoid and escape it so we might try Something like, okay, well, maybe the environment is too much for them. So we're going to like 
try and get them more used to the environment. And we call that systematic desensitization. Or maybe we are going to teach that person when they're starting to feel stressed or they're starting to feel upset, this is where we can put a relaxation technique into place. We look for what the behavior is trying to communicate to us so that we can, in some way, put something into place that's going to meet the same need as whatever the maladaptive behavior is or the quote-unquote bad behavior. We want, again, remember I said last week, I don't believe in behavior problems. What I believe in is poor self-advocacy. And a person just may not be able to advocate for themselves in such a way that it's socially acceptable. So they do other things. Okay, so we have a little break, and when we turn from the break, we're going to continue to talk about some of the behavioral methods for change. Thanks. See you in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back. I hope you got your coffee. I went and got mine. So I hope you're enjoying the show this morning. We're continuing our discussion on behaviorism. We are discussing a little bit this morning about assessment. And now once we have done an assessment, which we tend to use a tool called a functional analysis or a functional assessment, we then 
have interventions that we want to put into place, a particular behavioral program. So let's talk about some of those. I was just describing somebody who is, you know, maybe stressed out. And because they're so stressed out, they're not able to get their work done. They're not able to exist in the way that they want to. Therefore, what are one of the techniques that can be used? Well, maybe a relaxation training. Relaxation training involves the clients learning to lower their arousal to reduce their stress by tensing and releasing certain muscle groups throughout their body. Now, it really is very helpful because when you squeeze certain parts of your body, your muscles, your arms, your legs, it releases endorphins into your system, which allows your system to calm down for one and feel a little bit better. Remember that stress is an instinctual thing that is a survival tool. So if somebody is engaging in a lot of anxiety provoked behavior, it's because they are dealing with maybe some very early instinctual behaviors and something in their environment is triggering that. So we look at the environment and we go, okay, what is it in the environment that may be bothering this person? Um, For instance, uh, um, well, here's a good example because he's on the show today. Augie has been working on a uh, project with our local regional centers looking at clients being able to go to the dentist. And it's a very difficult thing because it's scary. None of us like to go to the dentist anyways. Um, And so the person who might be developmentally disabled or not communicating as well may become pretty frightened by the environment of the doctor's office and just not want to go or have a complete meltdown. So one of the things that he's doing is working with they have set up a, a mock room, a mock dentistry to bring clients in and allow them to get used to sitting in the chair and the sounds of the drill and the sounds of the water and all the different things. That's a systematic desensitization that allows his clients to slowly get used to it because the greatest benefit is then they can go to the dentist. And they can actually, you know, have their teeth worked on and and be healthier. Again, remember that the point of all of this behavioral stuff is to increase the person's good life. So systematic desensitization is a treatment in which the client slowly substitutes a new learned response for a maladaptive response by moving up a hierarchy of situations involving fear. Systematic desensitization is based in part on counter-conditioning. Counter-conditioning is learning new ways to change one's response for another, and in the case of desensitization, it's substituting the maladaptive behavior for a more relaxing behavior. Exposure and response prevention techniques is also known as flooding and response prevention. Flooding and response prevention is a general technique in which you expose an individual to anxiety-provoking stimuli while keeping them from having any avoidance responses and and keeping them from freaking out. So in flooding, what we would do is we would engage the person in things that freak them out, things that are are anxiety-provoking for them, work with them to show them that they're safe, stay with them during the situation, 
show them that they can get through it, and that it's not as scary as they thought it was going to be. You got to do it right because you can engage in too much of the anxiety provoking behavior, and then that can really freak the person out. So, but with flooding and response prevention, you're looking at engaging in social anxiety provoking events to then have somebody help you not to escape and avoid them. Uh, virtual reality therapy provides realistic computer. This is a very new type of, of therapy. Uh, it's computer-based simulations of troublesome situations. The modeling process involves a person being subjected to watching others, other individuals who demonstrate behavior that is considered adaptive and that should be adopted by the client. This exposure involves not only the cues for, of the model person, as well as the situations of the certain behavior that the relationship can be seen between the appropriateness of a certain behavior and a situation in which the behavior occurs is demonstrated. With the behavioral rehearsal and homework treatment, a client can get a desired behavior during therapy during the therapy session and then they practice and record that behavior between their sessions. It's really important when the client is engaging in these types of treatments for them to be able to voice how they're feeling, what they were working through, and their homework may be them actually discussing the session and what they were able to do outside of session. We are usually wanting that person to remember what the flooding experience was like and that they were safe during that so that they can then later engage in, in a anxiety-provoking behavior without becoming so anxious. So sometimes we might engage in, and, and this is not used very often, but it's called aversion therapy or punishment. Now, remember that with punishment, we're, and we talked about this last week, there's two kinds. There's positive and negative. Positive means you apply something. Um, it could be something like a aversive situation or a, you know, even a spanking to a negative punishment, which is the removal of something that causes an aversive, like you're not allowed to watch TV or you're not allowed to go out or those kind of things. Um, aversion therapy and punishment is a technique in which an aversive stimulus is used to decrease unwanted behaviors from occurring. It's concerned with two procedures. The procedures are used to decrease the likelihood of the frequency of a certain behavior, and secondly, the procedures that will reduce the attractiveness of certain behaviors and the stimuli that elicit them. So part of the aversion therapy is to, for instance, that you were using uh, aversion therapy with smoking, that you would be introduced to so many cigarettes that just the sight of them would make you sick to your stomach. And so the only problem, not the only problem, there's several problems with punishment. One problem is, is that punishment tends to decrease behaviors pretty quickly. So if that's the case, the person that's applying the punishment uh, may use it too often because they simply just want to have that quick response. 
The problem is, is that the punisher or the punishment really only teaches the person what not to do. It doesn't necessarily teach you what to engage in. So it's not something that we utilize too often. Though, as I spoke about last week, response cost, which is a punishment, where you have to pay for the behavior, is something that is utilized a lot and utilized in token economy systems. It is the key to using the token economy system because the response cost teaches responsibility. So I'll talk a little bit more about token economy systems in a minute here. But the punishment side of aversion therapy is when an aversive stimuli is presented at the same time that a negative stimulus is presented and then they are stopped at the same time when a positive stimulus or response is presented. Examples are of the types of negative stimulus or punishment that can be used is uh, things as much as shock therapy, aversive drug treatments, as well as response cost. And out of all of the things, again, we really, at, at Total Programs, we don't focus on punishment models. Um, and in the field, we don't really focus on punishment models. We focus more on looking at the function behind a behavior and trying to uh, um, put into place something that is similar to that function. Applied behavior analysis is using behavioral methods to certain behaviors that are seen as being important in social, for social and, and for your personal life. There are four main characteristics of applied behavior analysis. First, behavior analysis is focused mainly on overt behaviors in applied settings. Treatments are developed as a way to alter the relationship between those overt behaviors and the consequences. Another characteristic of applied behavior analysis is how it goes about evaluating treatment effects. The individual subject is where the focus of the study is on. The, in, the investigation is centered on the one individual being treated, a th on the one individual being treated. A third characteristic is that it focuses on what the environment does to cause significant behavior change. Finally, the last characteristic of applied behavior analysis is that it is the use of those techniques that stem from operant and classical conditioning, such as providing reinforcement or punishment, stimulus control, and any other learning principles that may apply. Stimulus control is that idea of, in a sense, stopping the behavior before it, uh, it happens. Sometimes that is possible. Quite often that is not possible. Quite often you're, you don't really know where the behavior came from. And you might over time see repetitions that when this certain thing occurs, this certain behavior then happens after. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it is the case that you really just don't know where the behavior has come from. But you always know what you did after the behavior. You can always apply the appropriate consequence, which would mean the appropriate reinforcer to make that behavior happen again or not, whatever you're working on. So the idea of the utilization of ABA, again, is to make life better for the person. So when we return, we're going to talk a little bit more 
about what ABA does to help uh, people. And then we're going to bring on our guests and talk a little bit about organizational behavior management. So we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, listeners. We're talking about behaviorism this morning and different types of behavioral methodology. Uh, in a couple minutes, we'll have some guests on to talk about their research and behavior management. So one of the, again, the main focus of why we do the work in our applied behavior analysis world is not to increase desired behaviors and decrease undesirable ones. It's what we use it for, but it's not its main purpose. Its main purpose is to promote social, what we call social validity, or a good life. A life that has valid reasons for existing and has valid characteristics that want and have people moving towards the individual. So sometimes what we need to do is develop like a social skills program for the individual so that they can engage socially with others. 
Social skills training teaches client skills to access reinforcers and lessen life punishment. Operant conditioning procedures in a meta-analysis. And a meta-analysis is when you take a bunch of different research articles and you look at the strength of the interventions across all of them to see if there is a particular intervention that has higher amounts of strength than others without literally having to do each procedure with a client. So operant conditioning procedures in meta-analysis has the largest effect size for training social skills, followed by modeling, coaching, and social cognition techniques. Social skills training has some empirical support, particularly for things like schizophrenia, autism, developmental disabilities. Um, Some other techniques that have been used in behavioral therapy are contingency contracting, as I said before, response cost in token economy systems, even biofeedback, using shaping and grading task assignments. So shaping and graded task assignments are used when behavior that needs to be learned is kind of complex. The complex behaviors that need to be learned are broken down into similar, simpler steps where the person can achieve small things gradually and build up to a more complex behavior. Now, you can do that with a lot of things. When you have a behavior or when you have something you're trying to teach and it's kind of hard on that kid, you can break it down and let them do just a little bit at a time and praise them for doing a little bit at a time. And I guarantee they will pick up quicker on being able to do the the, the new learned behavior. And uh, all along the way, they're getting praised for each little step. And because they're being praised for each step, they're more likely and more motivated to, to do more. So breaking stuff down into small steps is a really good way of gradually teaching the behavior, but also not expecting too much out of the person in the beginning. The behavior is used when the person feels that something in their lives cannot be changed and the life's task appears to be overwhelming. So they may kind of engage in that behavior of escape and avoidance when things get too hard. So if you break it down into simpler kind of steps for them, there's a very good likelihood they're going to do better. So the contingency contract is a huge thing. It's a formal written contract between two people that defines very specific expected behaviors that you wish to change and the rewards and punishments that go along with that behavior. Contingency contracting is really great for teaching responsibility, and it lays out specifically what the uh, uh, what is expected. Now, we have a lot of different types of behavioral methods, and I'll go into more again next week or next time. However, I want to talk now about something that's called organizational behavior management. Organizational behavior management, or OBM, is a form of applied behavior analysis which applies psychological principles of organizational behavior and the experimental analysis of behavior in organizations to improve the individual and group performance and and worker safety. The areas of application may include system analysis, management training, performance improvement, OBM resembles human resources management, but places more of an emphasis 
in ABA and systems level focus. So it's kind of a combo of human resources and applied behavior analysis. Various OBM interventions have been included, include, have included working with therapists on including things like billable hours or getting your papers turned in and something we'll be talking about. OBM takes many fields, including behavioral systems analysis and performance management, although there is some debate as to whether taking principles from fields outside of behavior analysis meshes with the actual definition of OBM. Related fields include behavior-based safety and behavioral engineering. The history of this field is under some debate, but Dr. Alice Dickinson published an article in 2000 detailing the history of the field. The article stated that the field emerged from within the behavior analysis field. The first organized application of behavioral principles in business and industry was programmed instruction. However, this application was before OBM emerged into the field. The first university to offer a graduate program in OBM and systems analysis was Western Michigan University. The first teacher to teach a course was Dick Malot, who is a pretty famous guy. Another early program in OBM was initiated at the University of Notre Dame in 1975 with the arrival of Martin Wyckoff, the first graduate student of the program. Prior to attending Notre Dame, Wyckoff with the University of Wisconsin, excuse me, with the University of Washington professors Bob Kohlenberg and Terrence Mitchell, one from the business school, one from the School of Psychology, conducted one of the first controlled studies of applied behavior analysis in business. So what OBM does is it helps us to develop better ways of utilizing our employees and better ways for employees to utilize what the business offers them. So I'd like to bring on our guests. We have two guests today. One is Joshua Trevino. He's been working in the field with children and adults with disabilities for the past 12 years and has worked at Total Programs for the past nine years. Josh is currently a supervisor in community integration program at Total and has valued the amount of experience a position like this encompasses. Josh has had the opportunity to work directly with parents in the home setting, clients and staff in community settings, and teachers and support aides and students in the school settings. He continues to strive to, in supporting clients and support teams achieve their prospective goals through the creation and implementation of collaborative behavioral, uh, behavioral support plans. Josh currently holds a license as a speech-language pathologist assistant and is currently pursuing a license to become a board-certified behavior analyst. The other guest that we have on today is Augustine Jimenez, who's been on the show a couple times. He is a director at Total Programs. He has a BCBA, and, which is a board-certified behavior analyst, and he teaches at our local university at Cal State University of Los Angeles. He has... Uh, various areas of interest, one of them being OBM. And so I'd like to bring the, the two on. Guys, are we on the phone? Hi, Dr. Hi, Dr. How are you doing? Great. Great to have you both. You know, Augie, I think I'll, I'll start with you. Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about why you got interested in OBM. 
Um, well, um, as you know, uh, the director position, um, a lot of the work that we do not only has to do with supporting the clients and making sure that we have strong clinical programs in place. Uh, in addition to that, we are working with folks who are implementing interventions and OBM being a area of applied behavior analysis uh, where we can apply uh, skills or the strategies and applications here for training, targeting skills, or training uh, skills and managing staff application of skills in their day-to-day work. Um, we find the use of OBM uh, systems and technology and research to be uh, extremely important uh, from this position uh, at Total Programs. And so, um, you know, because of the opportunities of being the director, uh, I feel research in OBM uh, lends itself um, really well. So it's helping you to help your staff. Absolutely. And have you found that the that there are a variety of areas that you could focus on within OBM? Yes, absolutely. So um, just a couple of uh, areas. One has to do with staff training and the evidence-based procedures and staff training, which um, there is a lot of research uh, specifically to the uh, human services um, employee performance type of issues that have to do with uh, staff training in particular. Uh, so staff training uh, tends to be one uh, one general area. So whether it has to do with the implementation of specific procedures uh, in a clinical setting or if it has to do with uh, you know, basic clerical types of things, being able to turn in uh, uh, forms and submit data, which we have a, a research project that we're presenting at uh, ABAI uh, this uh, this weekend. Um, so it has a variety of different uh, applications and just the training of these target skills. Uh, in addition to that, once you have these skills trained, then systems need to be put into place to make sure that they are ongoing. Uh, so how are we going to monitor these systems? Uh, so data collection, which is something that behavior analysts are very good at. In addition to that, how are we, how are we going to maintain these uh, sorts of behaviors? So uh, systems of reinforcement, uh, systems of corrective feedback for failed performance and things of that nature. So. In that sense, uh, the OBM literature and the OBM applications are uh, are really relevant. And actually, even uh, I, I would say, and I think this kind of goes back to you, Dr. Surface, as uh, your emphasis that it has uh, ethical implications as well. Uh, because if we know that we have an evidence-based uh, methodology for uh, maintaining staff behavior and training staff, uh, and we're a behavior analytic agency, then these are things that uh, we really must apply globally to be thorough behavior analysts. Yeah, well, a part of our job as ethical behavior analysts is to make sure that the procedures that we're using are being implemented correctly and that staff has a good understanding. Believe it or not, guys, we have a little break. We'll take a break and we'll be back in a, in a couple minutes and get Josh in on our conversation also. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. 
At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back, listeners. So we're discussing uh, applied behavior analysis and specifically talking now about organizational behavior management. We have on the phone with us Augustine Jimenez um, and Joshua Trevino. We've been talking with Augie a bit. And Josh, I'm going to ask you now the same question that I asked Augie. What got you interested in OBM? Well, Dr. Susan, thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, You know, I think that for me... Um, improving staff performance um, in regards to turning in um, data for the um, clients that we service. Um, I believe that's what got me most into um, OBM is uh, trying to find uh, solutions for um, improving um, the receiving the, the staff data, especially on day of session. Um, in the past, we were getting data um, uh, like on the 15th or the 30th of the month when staff would turn in their paper copies. Um, and so we tried to find a, a solution so that we're getting data um, the day the staff um, work with the clients, and that allows us as supervisors and at Total Programs to um, better monitor uh, client programs. What, uh, Josh, how did you know what you wanted to research? How did you kind of figure out the, the, the area that you wanted to dive into first within OBM? I think what it what came down to was just um, the practicality of it, um, working directly with clients as a supervisor. Um, one of the biggest um, concerns I had was, was being able to keep up-to-date data on the progress or the lack of progress some clients were making. 
Um, and I think that's what really spearheaded uh, my interest in OBM. Um, after speaking with uh, Augie, I was able to kind of work with him on coming to a solution as to how we can address these issues. But why was it important to address the issue of, of data being turned in in a timely manner? What, why does it make a difference? Um, it, it makes a huge difference in regards to the social validity of the data and the, and the client services. Um, if we can see that there are issues um, arising in the client program through the data, um, it allows me as a supervisor to try to go in there and figure out what's going on to support the client um, in, their, in the issues that are arising. And, and I can't do that unless I see the data um, sooner than later. Yeah, and the most current data you have will be telling you how your client is doing, whether the intervention is working or not. Uh, Augie, I'll ask you the same question. What pointed you in the direction of, of knowing, okay, this is what we want to work on now? Yeah, uh, similar to Josh, being able to make day-to-day uh, database decisions, uh, going back to the ethics of being a behavior analyst, we have to think of concepts like right to effective treatment, uh, ongoing evaluation being one of those main items uh, that uh, Van Houten had illustrated in uh, you know this uh, article some years ago that uh, gave us some parameters about how to provide effective treatment. If we're not ongoingly evaluating our client programs, then essentially we're not providing a scientific or behavior analytic uh, service, which we are essentially ethically bound to do. Uh, it's a concern that we, we have because our systems beforehand uh, were really only informing us of uh, progress on a month-to-month or couple-months basis, and that isn't as timely as it can be given the technology that we have today. We, we know that with all the technology that we have today, whether it has to do with apps, the, the, the types of procedures that we used, that you know, we can um, get uh, data to come in on a daily basis and make sure. uh, more immediate uh, treatment decisions. So it was kind of looking at, like, the, the need to have data in so that decisions could be made, but at the same time looking at, well, what is it that's hindering staff from doing what they're supposed to be doing? Josh, uh, in the next couple of minutes, can you explain what your research was that you're going to be presenting this weekend? I mean, we're talking yeah, a little bit um, about it, but but lay it out specifically. What was the what was the methodology? What were you trying to to find out? Well, we were trying to find out whether a lottery based um, group contingency um, would um, solve our our problem of of ensuring that staff turn in data day of session. Uh, we used that, and then we also used the performance feedback. So those were the two different contingencies we used. Um, if we uh, if the staff turned in data on time. Um, they were able to be entered into a lottery system. At the end of the week, they would receive a reward. Um, whereas in the performance um, uh, contingency, um, the staff were given uh, feedback on how the group did as a whole. Um, by the end of the week, they, that percentage was revealed to the group. So there, you either had one group that was just given verbal feedback about how everybody was doing, or you had somebody who was reinforced individually for their for the work that for turning in their 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 data. Yes, exactly. Right, and so you found what was the outcome that you found? What worked better? 
Um, well, we found that uh, feedback in general uh, was really su- uh, supported uh, staff in turning in um, their data on time. When we provided them with information on how well they were doing, um, that also uh, increased the amount of uh, data that was received. Um, I would say that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Augie, here, but performance um, feedback was slightly better um, at uh, having staff turn in data on time. Yes, it, it was the uh, the the feedback, the weekly feedback that we gave uh, yielded a better performance than the lottery-based incentive for three out of four of the supervisor groups that we evaluated, uh, which is a pretty interesting and helpful finding that, uh, you know, essentially we could use cost-effective procedures to enhance the performance of staff um, over using incentive-based programs, which I think is uh, is a pretty interesting finding just generally and, and helpful for the organization as well. Yeah, because most people, now if I make sure, making sure that I got it right, they preferred the performance feedback over a lottery uh, award or a reward or a treat or something like that, right? I, w- I would say that um, their their preference may have actually been different because we did also send them a survey and they, they rated the preference for the incentive uh, better than they rated the uh, the performance the feedback. feedback on a weekly basis. However, their performance indicated that the weekly feedback uh, yielded better results. So, if we had to ask them their preference, which we know as behavior analysts, it's you know somewhat faulty, but uh, that essentially that the weekly performance generated better uh, you know uh, better performance. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because that. As a, as a supervisor, providing that, um, that weekly feedback uh, was actually easier um, than, than conducting the lottery system. So that also worked on, uh, for us as supervisors to provide that weekly feedback. So what you guys were able to find was that that direct interaction with your uh, uh, staff person is the best for them, really, because that is what produces the most work. Guys, I'm so happy that you guys were able to come and share a little bit. The, the show's come to an end. Um, maybe we can have you on again after your, uh, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, after you guys present this weekend just to kind of see what the next step would be. Because I really wanted to know what the next, what your next research projects would be. But unfortunately, we just don't have the time today. So thank you so much for listening today. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions Taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we are about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.